Are you ready, Christine? Sure I am. Are you ready, Ma? I've got my disco shoes on. Let's go! Let's go to New York City in 1975. <laughs> the 70s in New York City. <sighs> we are doing three days of the Condor. An innocent researcher, rather nice to look at, for a branch of the CIA finds himself marked for death by killers employed <laughs> by CIA agents. Three Days of the Condor. It came out September 24th, 1975. The Particulars. It's directed by Sidney Pollack. Sidney Pollack also, he is an Academy Award winning director. He won mm -hmm. Best Director and Best Picture for Out of Africa, which <laughs> I'm guessing Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. Like, we're not going to have a bunch of cast for this film out of Africa. We probably won't see it because I think it's like three hours long or something. Oh. Ugh. Well, he also did Tootsie, The Way We Were, and Absence of Malice, which we haven't done, but mm -hmm. is starring one Paul Newman. Oh. And then we last saw him because he was acting in Death Becomes Her. He's mm -hmm. also acted in Will and Grace and Eyes Wide Shut. Three Days of the Congo Condor is one of seven films that he made with Robert Redford. So they liked working with each other. The screenplay is by Lorenzo Semple Jr., who also wrote The Parallax View, The Drowning Pool, which stars Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. So we definitely have to do that. That's a the Woodman joint. Pool? Yeah, The Drowning Pool. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> I bet it's dramatic and he developed the 1960s batman tv show and the screenplay was also written by david ray dial who also did round midnight the firm and intersection oh okay because you know sydney pollack also did the firm he did he's done a lot of films um it's based on the 1974 novel six days of the condor mm-hmm at the you know, films are shorter than books. Got to compress it. By James Grady, who is an American writer and investigative journalist. Um, he's known for his books are known for the thriller novels with espionage, intrigue, and cops. He also wrote Shadow of the Condor, White Flame, and Last Days of the Condor. Oh, it's edited by Don Judice, who also did A New Leaf, which we did. The Yakuza and Police Academy 2, colon, their first assignment. The music is by Dave Grusin, who did The Graduate, Tootsie, and The Goonies. The director of photography is Owen Roseman, who did Network, The French Connection, The Exorcist, and Liza with a Z. Starring Robert Redford as Joseph Joe Turner, a.k.a. Condor. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Sting, All the President's Men. Um, but then listen to this movie. So this movie comes out in 75. Listen to the string of movies. So Robert Redford had been in, he did The Sting, followed that up with The Way We Were. Then he was in The Great Gatsby. Then he was in this film, Three Days of the Condor. Then he's in The Great Waldo Pepper. And then he's in All the President's Men. So 
He's in the middle of just his run of like I'm fuck I'm Robert fucking Redford motherfuckers. That's right. That's Y'all right. love me. And then he goes on in 1980 to win an Oscar for directing Ordinary People. So wow, just capped off that decade. Then we have Faye Dunaway as Kathy Hale. She was in Chinatown, Mommy Dearest, Network, and Bonnie and Clyde. We have Cliff Robertson as mm-hmm. Higgins. He's an Academy Award-winning actor. He won for Charlie. He also played John F. Kennedy in PT-109. And in the Spider-Man films from 02 to 07, he was Uncle Ben. Nerd alert, Cliff Robertson is a big-time aviator. He was into flying planes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was flying a private Beechcraft Baron directly over the World Trade Center on New York City on 9-11, on the 9-11. And he was, like, uh, climbing over 7,000 feet when the first plane hit the tower. And they were like, you got to get down right now, right now. So, like everyone else that was in the air, he had to go down. But, yeah, he was, like, right over. Where did he land? Um, I think an airport in Jersey. I think, like, everybody was just landing. I, like, two of my three closest friends were in the air that day, randomly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, like, Evan and his dad were on their way to Florida. They flew out of Newark. And my friend Novak was, I forget where he was flying to or from. But, yeah, that was wild. Um, We have Max von Sydow who played Jobert. He's famous for The Seventh Seal, which is a very famous Ingmar Bergman film. We might have to get into that when we get into our uh, esoteric, like, film hoity-toity bag. Yeah, we have to be, cu- we have to be like, on it for that. Mm-hmm. He was also for what in movie? The Seventh Seal. It's a famous film. In the, in the film, sir. Obviously not. Very, obviously not very famous. I don't remember it. Shots fired. <laughs> oh, he also was in The Greatest Story Ever Told. Yeah, this Swedish man played Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you... I mean... You know, you, when you think of Jesus Christ, you, you think of a Swede, which kind of you do, and... Let's no, I think of a white man. It's blue eyes and hair. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, by the way. But it is it is an interesting thing. Like just let it sink in of like that's of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And and what we're saying about whiteness. Like not what we're like as society was saying about that. And how it just that whole image got just completely blonde haired, blue eyed. Um he also played the three eyed raven. In Game of Thrones. Oh. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. We have John Houseman as Wabash. Yes, was, we did. He was in The Paper Chase, Bright Lights, Big City. And, oh, by the way, just a BT dubs, he produced Citizen Kane. So, just. Oh, just, wow. You know, just that. I'm we sure have, I've heard that before, but, you know. Just a no big deal. No big whoop. Still never seen that, and I know you've already done it, so I probably never will. Yeah, sorry. Oh, 
Well, we could maybe, revisit. Yeah, maybe on like the like a big episode, like a, a big anniversary. We go back because it's. I mean, it's always on the biggest list. We have Addison Powell as Leonard Atwood. He was in the Thomas Crown Affair, Dark Shadows, and MacArthur. We have Tina Chen as Janice Chong. She's a Chinese American actress. She was in an Alice's Restaurant and the Hawaiians. Nerd mm. alert. Um, because I can only imagine in the 70s, it was very tough going for Tina Chen trying to get out there and get her acting on. But as she was trying to be an actress, she worked as a researcher in the serology and genetics department of the New York Blood Center. So she wasn't just out here waiting tables. She was doing blood research in the 70s in New York. So you know that very busy. Just a lot was just probably going on. Um. And she also did a ton of theater work. Unfortunately, because as if you've listened to this podcast, you know how little there are of Asian actors that we do in movies. So guessing that she didn't, she, I'm not guessing, I know for a fact, she didn't get a lot of roles in television and film. So that's sad because I thought she was fantastic. They probably felt like they were really hip and cool and woke because they had, that interracial relationship between a white man and a Chinese woman. Oh yeah, definitely. But just, and you know what? Hats off to them. I'd give them their propers because it's 1975. And I don't think that we've, have we done a film where there's been, um, an Asian love interest? I mean, never mind the fact that she does, take a bullet pretty early on. Yeah, she didn't last 10 minutes. And I have more to say about that later. Okay, because we have Carlin Glenn as May Barber, and I include her because she, in real life, is the mother of Fried Green Tomatoes actress Mary Stuart Masterson. Oh, really? Who was she, the secretary? No, she was the wife of when he go when he was oh, like, oh, you need to Sam's wife. Yeah, he was. She was Sam's wife. Yep, and she was also the mom in Sixteen Candles, and she was also in The Trip to Bountiful. And oh. and then as a little nerd alert extra, as the voice on the phone as Ben, Kathy's boyfriend, was Sydney Pollock. Hmm. As was the cabbie who almost ran over Paul Newman. And yelled at, what you doing? Yeah, look at that man. He's just like, I got this. So there you have it. There are the particulars. Okay, well, the movie starts with a state-of-the-art for 1975 printer with the tabs, and it fed the paper through. And then you had to rip the tabs off and try not to rip the paper. That was my childhood. Um, but I digress. We see Robert Redford riding his bike to work. Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. Someone is watching him and crossing his name off a list. He goes into work where he reads and tries to find words that go together and could be some kind of code. It was, it's hard to explain what that is, but they do it well in the movie. And, um, he feeds those words into the state-of-the-art 1975 computer 
that your daddy used to work with. And anyway, while he is out picking up lunch for the office, three men go in the office and assassinate everyone. Mm. What else could go wrong? <laughs> oh, POC. Now there, <laughs> I, for, I forgot to count because there, there were POCs. We, well, we had the Asian woman who was um, Janice. Her Robert character. love interest. <clears throat> right. For so half just, a minute. We had the blackmail man. How, and I mean, that should have been, should have been, you're in the CIA? I mean, that's your first clue right there when the non-black mailman showed up. Yeah. Uh, let me see some credentials, sir. Then we had a black man and a black woman couple in the lobby that Robert Redford paid off because he was like, I'm about to get assassinated. I need a group of innocent people around me. Mm -hmm. And then we had the black woman who was but the wait, nurse. Not really that because, uh, you know, uh, collateral damage. I know. Well, that was a real, even he was like, Hey, I locked my keys. I need you to break in for me. Yes. Like, oh yeah, uh -huh. get the black guy to break yes. in your car to get your keys. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote about that. We'll do a quotable. Okay, that's good. Because then, then we also had the black woman. She was the nurse that was on yes. duty when, when uh, I think his name was Wicks or something got taken out the game. And then this is cool. I thought Major, the guy that was in the the telecom center, he mm -hmm. was a person who uses a wheelchair. Yes. Yes. Hmm. So I counted six in power of cast. All right. Or POC count. Or, you know, people that we don't usually see in films count. <laughs> yeah. And for cast, I did have the breaking into the car thing. Mm -hmm. mm. Did you have any other castini? Um, no, I didn't. I had that. Uh, and I didn't really write any more down. Well, I have because of the MacGuffin in this whole movie is around oil and because mm -hmm. this came out in 1975. Mm -hmm. So I came across this article. It was very long and I, I just skimmed it, but um, it's called the twilight of Autopia. It's a 2000 October, 2019 article by Gabrielle Esperdi. And so basically to set it up in the seventies in 1973, there was a gas shortage. Which I think yep. you may have seen like lines and stuff. And what was it like? Uh, the Odd even. Yeah. License plate letters when you could get gas. Prior to 1973, Ooh. gas had been cheap and it had been abundant. And that goes in line with creating our autocentric society, which also goes into, if you think about like people coming back from the war and just more cars getting out. You have white flight, people going out to the suburbs. And there was a quote in this article that said, indeed, in the post-war decades, the federal trifecta of mortgage insurance, which we know CAST is involved with mortgage insurances, accelerated deprecation, depreciation, and highway subsidies. Um, highways... You can go and look into that. That's power of cast because where do they build the highways? They put it through um, neighborhoods of color and people of color. 
that's where mo- a lot of the highways went through because it's, oh, black and brown people live there. We can put the highway there. Uh-huh. They can figure it out. Um, so Cast is involved with that. Along the lines of local efforts to dismantle streetcars and interurbans. That affects people of color and caste because the people who are left from white people fleeing out to the suburbs, you have the urban centers. Those people need to get around, but they're like, no, sorry, our tax base has moved out, so we need to take money away from um, transportation and local transportation and that kind of thing. Um, So they had local efforts to dismantle streetcars and inner urbans, and had transformed the United States into an autotopia with a capital A, or car country, as the environmental historian Christopher Wells put it. So, I mean, Cass goes into the whole thing of, of cars taking over society and, and stuff. And then... And those cars were huge. Huge. Back then, we thought that was a mid-sized car. Mm-hmm. Those cars were huge. And then it also became a status symbol of cars and that kind of thing. And so cars are just inner, continued to be interwoven into society. But then in 1973, it was this big thing of like, oh, wait, now there's a shortage because we don't control the oil and the spigot's been turned off. So did we learn anything from that? Well, in 1975, when this movie came out, the organized Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, known as OPEC, they agreed to raise oil prices by 10%. So now we're starting to see these countries, like the Middle East and stuff, and they're also Venezuela, also Mexico, petroleum-producing countries. They're like, yo, oh, what's the answer to every question? It's money. Who got the power? Who got the oil? So the final uh, quote of this article is and then that's also involved in caste because you know it middle eastern people are not white people <laughs> so when the white people have the cars and all the stuff that they want and if i mean that's one thing that like they never teach about is the history of the middle east and how many britain going in there other european countries going in there the united states going in there and just how much they meddled with their country and did a whole bunch of you know nefarious things to because they had all of the oil and then the reaction to that is well it's evident that you can see it in this movie because there's something that is center in this movie that takes place, the World Trade Centers, and that's not here anymore. And the reason it's not here anymore has a lot to do with the situation and the history, which also has to do with oil. So it says, quote, today's enthusiasts are reimagining Autotopia anew. They're hailing electronic and driverless vehicles and car sharing and ride apps as the fulfillment of a long sought promise, the infinite extension of the territories of the automobile. But before we remake our metropolitan landscapes once more in the image of the car, we should take a good long look in the rearview mirror. We have been through that we have been down this road before. So that's the thing that's wild to me with the gas short and all of that. I was like, so we learned absolutely nothing. nothing. And also just be like the money wise, but also the environmental aspects of it. I, 
it's it's wild to me. So there you have it. And then for another thing with cast, I had that um, in December of 1974, and uh, Seymour Hirsch, he was a journalist. He revealed the contents in the New York Times front page cover story in December of 74, basically about CIA's family jewels. And family jewels is the name of a report that pretty much um, detailed illegal, inappropriate, and sensitive activities done by the CIA from 1959 to 1973. Because um, prior to this, the Watergate scandal had broken, and the CIA was kind of mentioned as having involvement in that, and people wanted to know, like, what else is the CIA up to? Because also, you had had the 60s, where you had had Kennedy's, multiple Kennedys assassinated. You had Malcolm X assassinated. You had Martin Luther King assassinated. Medgar Evers assassinated. So many assassinations. Well, I mean, spoiler alert for 1975, so many more assassinations in 1975 around the world. So in 1973, the CIA director ordered, he was like, all right, senior officers, I need y'all to compile a report of current or past activities that fell outside of our charter. And you know they were like, God damn, everything fell outside the charter. This motherfucker over here, what, what is he trying to do? So they had that report. It was all like just these memos, loose leaf paint, just in a binder. Somehow Seymour got his hands on, on just a little small bit and released it in December. And then reporters kept filing uh, Freedom of Information Act kind of things, wanting to know more and more. It would be denied, denied. It wasn't until June 2007 that more of the family jewels of like what the CIA was involved with came to light. And that included funding for behavior modification research, such as Project MKUltra, and amassing close to 10,000 files on US citizens related to anti-war movement, and also assassination of plots against Cuban President Fidel Castro, and also DR Congolese leader Patrice Lumbaba, Dominican Republic President Rafael Trijo, and Rene Schneider. Um, of those that I listed, only Castro was the one that was like, ha ha, I'm still alive. Not saying that the CIA killed those other three gentlemen, but there were the CIA had plans <laughs> to take them out the game if if that's who ended up taking, I, I I don't know. I'm just saying that that came out. So, and and then it's just funny because it's like now we're like, okay, like that's that's about. I thought that's what the CIA does. Okay, and so we are to nerd alerts. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is it true that you're not allowed to say if you work at the CIA? I don't know, because they have, because he was a non-field. Because wasn't that like meet the Fockers, or meet the parents, <laughs> the whole thing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they, that, that's why they have all those euphemisms for it. Maybe like just certain positions, okay. The community, the company. It's probably if you do work in it and you're just like not like a, a field, you know, just number pusher, 
I wouldn't go around no. advertising that. Hmm. I, I would not. I would have just a, a number pressure. Yeah. I work for Quadex International Liaison Agency Emporium. You know, I would come up with some name. I have a nerd alert. Yay! About remember when he first called and he was like, uh, they were like, go to the Ansonia Hotel. Yes. I have a nerd alert about the Ansonia Hotel. It's a real place. Pull it up. It really is between 73rd and 74th Street on Broadway. And it is a beautiful building. Actually, it was built between 19, 1899 and 1904. I thought it was one of those big old, um, beautiful old buildings. It I've is. heard of it. Um, um, so. It's a Parisian style. It has a Parisian style roof and it has round corner towers or turrets and an open stairwell that sweeps up to a domed skylight, if that Ooh. means anything to you. The building's copper cornices were removed during World War II and melted down for the war effort, which I thought was interesting. Damn. Oh. It has had many celebrated residents, including baseball player Babe Ruth. Oh, the Bambino. Um, and a bunch of other people that I don't know who they are. Fashion designers, composers, Nobel Prize winners. Uh, by the mid-20th century, the apartments have been divided into studios and one-bedroom units, almost all of which retained their original architecture detail. And after a short debate in the 1960s, a proposal to demolish the building was fought off by its many musical and artistic residents. Mm. From 1977 until 1980, the Ansonia Hotel's basement was home to Plato's Retreat and Open Door Swinger Sex Club. Okay. And prior to that, it was housed, the building housed the Continental Baths, which is a gay <gasps> bathhouse where Bette Midler provided yeah! Yeah, ah! Jerry Manilow. And weren't we just talking about bathhouses? Yes. Yes. And then, and we were talking about Bette Midler. Hocus yes. Pocus. Hocus Pocus, and then it was in um, American American Horror Story, mm. where it takes place, I believe, in the seventies. Bathhouses. Yeah, it's a beautiful old building. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a whole section on Wikipedia called Scandals, but none of them were really that interesting. However, a key player in the nineteen nineteen Black Sox scandal, the Chicago White Sox. First baseman Chick Gandel had an apartment at the Ansonia. According to Elliot Asinoff in his book Eight Men Out, Gandel held a meeting in the Ansonia apartment with his White Sox teammates to recruit them for the scheme to intentionally lose the 1919 World Series. Oh. That's a movie we should do, Eight Men Out. Mm-hmm. And then Willie Sutton, the bank robber, was arrested for the sixth time of eight, two days before Thanksgiving, 1930, while having breakfast at a restaurant in the Ansonia. Um, I also never saw anything about it being a hotel, but it's also called the Ansonia Hotel. So I guess it's at one point it was. Now. That now it's condominiums, yes. Yeah. Pets are allowed. Mm. Oh, maybe we should move there. The Ansonia. 
Do you have any other nerd alerts, Ma? I have none. Well, that I know of, but, you know, they come up as we talk. And the 70s were wild. So in 1975, we were just getting over, finally putting to bed the whole Watergate thing. They got the people involved. They finally got sentenced. Um, yeah, Gerald- actually went to jail. Well, except for the ones who were pardoned. By President Gerald Ford. So he's president. We have Margaret Thatcher becomes Britain's first female leader of any political party. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, so I looked it up. There have been eight queens of England who have ruled for almost 200 years. So why is this a big deal? I'm this is like I'm like oh yay feminism but I'm sorry no (laughs) no because she was elected so that meant some men had to vote for her I I know but it's just one of those things where it's like oh because she's a woman I'm supposed to be like yay yay women like no get out of here get out of here with that they've been eight queens of England and just the first like. You've been ruled by women for close to 200 years. Anyway, the body, not a fan of Margaret Thatcher over here. It's basically just what I'm saying. I don't care if that makes me a bad woman. I don't care. I will stand by this. Uh, Ma, the Batter Meinhof group. Yeah, yeah. AKA the Red Army Faction. Yeah. They're a West German far-left Marxist-Leninist urban guerrilla group in West Germany. That was a lot of words. I know, because they're just out there just murdering people. They're a terrorist organization. So it's just what you you got. See, people go to extremes on both ends. Right, and they, uh, when we were uh, in Germany the first time, so you wouldn't remember... (laughs) They um they did kidnap a general, and they were staying at the Rosen Hotel. Some of their people were staying at the Rosen Hotel. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it was the big hotel in downtown Zweibrücken. See, look at that. Well, yeah, because their opponents were West Germany and the United States, and mm-hmm. they were motivated, motivated, motivated by leftist political concerns and the perceived failure of their parents' generation to confront Germany's Nazi past. Oh. Which so, I thought was very interesting because Germany ha- was like, like, hey, no. It, it took a while. It didn't happen right away. Well, but but this gets me to another thing that happened in 1970. So think about that. Hold that in your brain. And now remember in 1975, President Ford restores Robert E. Lee's U.S. citizenship. But in fairness to Robert E. Lee, he did sign his amnesty oath and all of that paperwork that the the Southern Confederates were supposed to sign and pledge allegiance to the United States and all of that. He did the paperwork in 1865. But in what I can only imagine and that tickles me is that his paperwork, I mean, it really did get lost, and it wasn't found until 1970. And I'm like, that's the kind of left-leaning tomfoolery that I can get behind. I don't get that's behind right. the, the modern gang. No, but the, yeah. the yeah. oh, I'm sorry, the leader of the Confederacy, you traitor, we lost your paperwork. 
But I just think that it's interesting how the Bayer Monhoff gang, like, they're just out there kidnapping, bombing people mm-hmm. because it's like, you haven't, we should have known, like, what did you do with the Nazis? And meanwhile, they're like, we got stones. We, there's no statues to any Nazis. Right, right. We've made you all don't this see stuff that flag illegal. anywhere. You don't yeah. see that flag anywhere. Maybe about the United States is over here. Like, the South will rise again. <laughs> just yeah. like, okay, wow. We also had the fall of Saigon over in Vietnam. And there was so much terrorism around the world. Just bombings, hijackings going on in 1975. A lot of assassinations of leaders of different countries just going on in 1975. And in 1975, Manson family member Squeaky Frome came Damn close to killing President Gerald Ford. Just luckily the woman didn't know about guns because they're, the only reason Gerald Ford is probably still alive is because there wasn't a bullet in the chamber. Because she pulled the trigger and was right, like, right in front of him. And there was no bullet in the trigger. So the Secret Service could tackle her. And Yeah. Well, otherwise he would have been on the list of other assassinations. So much time. Man, 70s, wild. Films. Number five was Return of the Pink Panther. Number four, <laughs> Dog Day Afternoon. Ooh. Number three, Shampoo. Number two, oh. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And the number mm. one film of 1975 was... Da-na. Da-na. Jaws. Oh. Yep. So, Best Picture Oscars. We have Nashville, Jaws, Dog Day Afternoon, Barry Lyndon, and the winner, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. yes. I've never seen it. You have to do it. We'll have to do it. So now I believe we are to reheatables. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I have a negative and a positive reheatable that's the same thing. Oh, good, because I have a lot of those. 1975 technology. <laughs> but... In 1975, that was so cool. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. had the one computer for the whole office. All the, the whole office was seven people. But, um, you know, you had to schedule time when you could have your turn on. And those big old things, that's what kept Poppy off the battlefield. They had to keep those in the, in the trailer trucks that could be air conditioned. So, um, but, I mean, you look at it now and it's like, Oh my god! Just what you have in your phone—the computing power yeah, in a phone. Exactly those big ass things. But at the time, so so the readers would read books and uh, or articles, anything they read, anything that came through. So they had to be teeny readers. Yeah. And they would look for commonalities in words or or words that kept repeating and feed that into the computer, and it could go. Okay, so these words are coming up in this. Let me see where else they're coming up. And then they could kind of see, are, are people sending codes to each other this way? Um, Basically, old school Google. Yeah. I mean, when when I had to do a research paper in, in 11th grade in high school, I mean, you had, you had to go to the library. 
I you had to know the Dewey Decimal System. You had to be able to use the the cart the filing system. That's you, what it, that's what yeah. that is. The Dewey yeah. Decimal System. You had to, and you had to be there and take notes on it. And I mean, anyway, Robert Redford's sideburns were too much. I mean, in yeah. 1975, I didn't think so, but looking back, you could trim those up a bit, Bobby. <laughs> and um. Okay, this is supposed to mean something. My I have notes. POC coat hanger. Oh. Coat hanger. There was a... Anybody here good with the coat hanger when he tried to make the... Yes, thank you. Thank you. The guy go break into the thank car. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Okay, those, those were the negatives I said. There were more. Well, I mean, there's the whole, you know, kidnapping someone... But she was such a bitch. She kind of deserved it. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the feminists are not going to be happy with this No, <laughs> and it wasn't right at all. Nor it, should it be right that you go, well, I'm not going to be kidnapped. <laughs> I you mean. Know. I mean, the only person I'd rather be kidnapped by is Paul Newman, but you're, you're close second. So, okay. So that was all negative, what I just <laughs> said was... Now so, you're the negative reheatable. I am <laughs> the negative reheatable. Mine are phone booths because they're non-existent. It's only negative because it's not a thing anymore. Now they're like they they they're 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 like power outlets now. I don't know what it is now. But they don't exist. They're taken off the last phone booth has been removed. Yeah. In New York City. What would Superman do? Fly I mean, somewhere else. I mean, he's got a lot. Like, <laughs> if he uses, like, Superman as a thing, like, he's got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, especially when they come out with half telephone booths, you know? Can I also tell you what really irks me? Yes. yes. That the New York Times, I pay a monthly fee to play the fucking games, to do the crossword puzzle and Wordle, and I can't read a damn article about phone booths. Yes. What? But you should. I thought you paid. I play for the games. It's and I pay, I pay for the games and I pay for the cooking, but I have to pay separately for the fucking news. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. You would have thought they would have so, bundled that. Fuck you, New York Times. We're going to the Smithsonian. One of the last payphones in New York City was moved to a museum on June 22nd of this year. Which I like that they at least, you know, saved one. Well, over one time, the city had around 30,000 payphones yeah. on record in the early 2000s. And it has spent seven years removing them. Um, the... Okay, so the history of the public payphone goes back to 1889. The world's first payphone was invented by William Gray. And by 1902, 81,000 payphones were in operation across the country. And they hit their peak in 1995. There was 2.6 million payphones around the country. Wow. Um, they were always so dirty and greasy to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Well... I don't think they needed this paragraph of what caused the payphone's demise. I think we all know that. <laughs> but 
It, they said also in 1967, the Supreme Court ruled that law enforcement couldn't wiretap public payphones without a search warrant, mm. which made them particularly attractive to criminals who didn't want their calls traced or spies. Mm. Uh, they then developed an association with crime and cities across the country lob- lobbied to have them removed from their streets. Um, so New York City replaced them all with link nyc kiosks where people can place free phone calls connect to wi-fi so they're basically updated phone booths charge their devices and view maps and directions although personally i've never seen anyone use them for any of those things it's usually like people without homes that are using them for charging which is great at least they have access to that and they can use them for um phone calls but i've never seen anyone looking at directions uh, so there's still about 1,800 kiosks active throughout the city. Oh. Yeah, for live NYC. There's for the, you could charge your phone and look at the directions. I didn't actually know you could use look at directions there. I'll have to try it. I think there's one near me. Report back. Yeah. Where was the gloves? But while the uh, several private pay phones still exist throughout the city, and four phone booths still stand on the Upper West Side, Thanks in part to lobbying by self-described payphone buff, Alan Flax. Uh, he just really loves payphones. And he said, I hate to use the word nostalgia, but I think people miss a period of time and a call meant something when you planned it and you thought about it and you took a deep breath and you put your quarter in. Which I kind of like. Yeah. Um, okay. That's my rant about phone booths. I also hate, I disagree with you because I hated the technology. I thought it was way too noisy. So I wrote noisy, te- noisy technology. Like, thank God we found a way to come up with quieter shit. If my computer makes a noise now, you feel like it's like about to blow up. Oh, right. you do. When the fan kicks in, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, stay with me, baby. Stay with me. At work, when all of our servers are about to go down, it's like, they start getting really loud. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> um, phone books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, glad those are gone. Those are so annoying. It gets like, I remember how you had to find the phone number in there. You could find people's names, but then you could just access anybody's phone number. Like, that's weird. That's why yes. the, the status was to have an unlisted phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember having to look up Toys R Us's phone number. My mom made me call... <laughs> I wanted a Barbie. I saved all my money. I was going to buy this Barbie dream house. I had an elevator. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. So I had to find, I had to save the money and then I had to call Toys R Us to make sure they had it and put it on hold. But I made my friend Kelly do it for me. I made her call because <laughs> I was too nervous. Um, pantyhose. That's what oh. I like. I don't get the point now. I get it. I do get the point. But like it's the purpose is to change your color and hide your imperfections. And Spanx, I'm into. I love Spanx. That's great. But pantyhose, like why do you like you see your arms? It's just weird that like we feel like you need to cover your legs like that. But it used to be that 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 was a a dress code requirement. Because a woman couldn't have bare legs. Right. Right. I like tights because they 
I could be, I'm somebody who's always cold. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to wear the tights. But the pantyhose, I'm like, these don't. In fact, They're these make always me colder. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And then know. you had to find the sizing's always weird. They had letters with the sizing. Yeah. I, I remember mean, the, having to find those in Belk for my orchestra concerts or something. The best thing was me just putting them on and then making my ma laugh as I danced around Fosse style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would like for you to do that for me next time. <laughs> See? She probably has an old pair in there. Actually. I'll buy you. A, I'll buy you. A, I'm sure I do in here somewhere. Yeah, be Fosse. She does. Yeah. Fosse. She does. Prance around. Um, Jazz hands. Tying someone up with pantyhose. That's so stupid. And the fact that this bitch couldn't get out of being tied up in pantyhose. Well, but like, it's weird how they, the pantyhose, when you put them on and stuff, and it's just the, the single layer, just, you can just rip them off. But if you, you put them all together, they really, like, Strong. that's a, that's a binding thing. Yeah. Did you guys watch that show, The Mole? Did you used to when it was on? I watched it. That was the first time I ever saw Anderson Cooper. Went like OG when the mole oh. came out. Which also negative reheatable. This LVP of this week is CNN for making yeah. it. They they just announced that their anchors are not going to be allowed to drink on or off the air on New Year's Eve this year. So wait for those ratings to plummet, and they'll be back to yeah. next year. Yeah. If I was already pissed when they pat when they when Kathy Griffin they kicked her right. off, which she was on the episode um, a season of the mole that we just watched. Um, and now, like, that's my favorite thing to do on New Year's is watch Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon. And listen to him giggle. Uh, his little giggle? Yeah. But I don't, I think that, um, what's-his-face is still, he's got too much money for CNN to be able to tell that man what to do. Andy Bravo. Cohen? Yeah, that guy. Andy Cohen. Yeah, he's Everybody like, Everybody else thinks he's gonna quit. He's gonna not do it anymore. He'll just be out there with a, a little tumbler and just be like, come get me, CNN. True. Because what's the answer to every question is money. And he's money, like, and I, I got know, it. I know, I know why. Well, that was just watching them do their shots. Yes. yes. Um, but anyway, so they came out with a Netflix is doing the mole again, like this year. Mm -hmm. Oh. And it's really good. We, I just watched, we've been watching it at work. And I thought that that was major mole behavior, her not being able to get out the pantyhose tied up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I can see that. Um, carrying cakes without a covering? That one guy in the elevator just carrying a cake. <coughs> oh, the germs. I know. The germs. You cough, yes. Mm -hmm. And I have a positive. I have a negative that's also a positive. Oh, nice. And that's 70s architecture and decor. Because mm. sometimes I love it, but some of these buildings were really like. It's like you look at something and you're not like, ooh, I love 70s. It's like, ooh, that looks outdated. Mm. Yes. Yes. That's what I thought of in the interior of his office. I thought, man, that, because I'm of the age where when I was a little kid, that's kind of how offices still were. So if I went in, yeah. and even like, even going into the 90s and stuff, it would still, because that would be only 20 years old. I mean, it'll be interesting, because I don't think there's anything redeeming about any decor or architecture of the 90s. So. Oh, yeah. I don't even be know. interesting to see. I just think of the 70s as very brown. 
Yeah. Lots of browns. Lots of browns. Avocado green and harvest gold. Yeah. I did like, yeah, I like that. Our appliances in our first house were green. Remember those? Yes. Yeah, those were fun. We had a, we liked them so much that we drank warm beer out of the fridge for a few weeks before (laughs) we were like, this, I don't think it's on. Yeah, then it was the beer. It wasn't anything else that let Thank you know. God it was the beer and not the yeah. hamburger. <laughs> I my negative reheatables. Um, this was not at all how I thought that the film would start. Specifically, the music. I would say that the music has aged pornishly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Word of the podcast, pornishly. Yeah, I was just like, oh, something interesting. Oh, she's got a delivery. Someone's got a delivery they're about to make. I just thought that was hilarious. The (laughs) this is aged badly. The the title card were the bad computer fonts. Like it was in that weird computer font that was. I'm sure in 1975, Ma was like, this is cutting edge. Oh my god. Look I at never that saw font. a computer font in 1975. Yeah. Um. Oh, Joe Turner just showing up at the crime scene and just touching everything, moving people around. But then I was like, I guess he is it's in the CIA. And he's in the CIA. The CIA is going to come and clean up all this stuff. Make yeah, it look you different. see him going in with the mops and such. Did you notice how every table or every flat surface had a giant ashtray? Oh, I meant to, oh, I didn't write it down. I loved those ashtrays. That giant, giant copper or like a brown, Brown. brown, it was beautiful. I mean, I don't know like how many, it's like for a group of 18 people to smoke cigarettes together, but. And the the cigarette is still smoldering on her sweater. Mm -hmm. Now, if that were like, see, that was probably a cotton sweater. If that had been like viscous or um, rayon, rayon, it would have melted to her skin. Yeah. I was on the subway today and there's, it's really cold out. Um, I saw a car pull up and it was like, uh, people were walking on and walking right off. But I walked on and it was just um, a man just laying down, smoking a cigarette while he was laying down. I was like, you know what? I just want a seat. I'll smoke. <laughs> I'll breathe in the smoke for my 20 minute ride home. If it means I get to sit. Are you like, ah, my youth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say <laughs> drink. <laughs> there we go. There's, There's Mac. You good? Okay. So the whole thing you have he you have Joe Turner, Robert Redford. He's on the run. He goes into a sporty goods store in NYC. He comes across this woman who's Faye Dunaway, and he kidnaps her and basically because he needs a safe place to stay. And then, you know, I mean it's no it's no like we all know where this is leading. But um, I was just like, wow, did, your girlfriend died, what, yesterday, yeah. earlier today? Right. I mean, right. And they, they completely hook up. 
just that's wow. my LVP. That's my LVP. Also, like, we didn't need that. He just, uh, yeah, that we didn't need that. Um, but maybe he. Needed I thought that. for so long. Wait. Never mind. I'll save it. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I have all this terrorism that's going on in the seventies in the world. And my man can still simply walk into the phone company and just string all these calls together, just do whatever he wants. He's just just doing all that. And then this is my, I don't know where I'm standing, so I'm putting it out. This could be a negative or a positive because I, I kind of go both ways. But in all honesty, when I was watching this, the last half hour, I should say the first time I watched this film, the last half hour, it was one of these things where around 30 minutes left it to go my eyes got heavy i'll wake up and it was the end and i rewind it 30 minutes and at the same place i kept i kept falling asleep so i kept seeing this ending and then being like son of a bitch and having to rewind it and wake up to the ending son of a bitch and rewind it. it was like groundhog's day so the ending just how it it's this ambiguous thing but it's so creepy too at the same time how it's just that it's like are you sure they're gonna print it and then he's walking and it's that eerie freeze frame and it zooms in close so i'm like i don't know i kind of like it likes the ending but i didn't like the 40 minutes leading up to the ending they didn't okay. need it yeah yeah it was uh yeah because then when i rewatched it i was like wait what okay hmm. yeah. so those are my negative reheatables Okay, so we're to positive. Oh, um, oversized glasses, they're back. They're Mm -hmm. so back. His glasses are so in. And and Janice's glasses in the very beginning, very big. I had a pair of very oversized glasses in the 70s. I'm sorry, I am of the age, and this is all... I lay this all on the feet of Jeffrey Dahmer. But those glasses to me oh. always reminded me ever since of Jeffrey Dahmer. And so now when they when they first started, like now I've kind of gotten used to it, but especially when they first started coming back in the more the recent. aviators? Yeah. I was just like, yo, you look like a guy who kills people and eats them. You know that, right? But, you know, other people. I'm glad you didn't say that to your father when he got retro aviator glasses i thought it one person has to ruin it for everybody you know yeah code names i think code names are cool we we have code names in our family we're a we're a code name family we have nicknames oh oh, shit i don't think i know those (laughs) poutini um National Airport, when it was still called National Airport. That's one of mine as well, Ma. So now I have to try to, um, because it's 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 National Airport. That's what it is. It's Washington National Airport. But did you know what BWI is? BWI is Thurgood Marshall Airport. Yes, but it's, yeah, it's Baltimore, Washington International Thurgood Marshall Airport. Right. Why isn't it? Thurgood Marshall, Baltimore, Washington International Airport. Are you really asking that? I, I know, I know, but I 
Now I have to get in my head to call BWI Thurgood Marshall Airport. I will say that today is the 60th anniversary of the opening of Dulles Airport. Oh, which is named after a... <laughs> Speaking of the CIA. Um, <laughs> how she was able in New York City to pull up right in front of her apartment and park at night. We have a parking spot right out front right now. Sometimes it happens. That is a pot. That's a great positive reheatable. I love when that happens. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that was a positive. (laughs) Negative. Uh, a holiday indoor with a doorman. Yeah. I've never been to a holiday. Holiday ends used to be different. Mm -hmm. They used to be. Now they're expresses. And may I say that sandwich looked amazing. Oh. That was an amazing looking sandwich. And she wrapped it up for it. I don't think she gave it to him. I think she and, uh, you know, Bobby shared it together later. I do like this. She was like, I, this is an amazing. I will wrap this up for you. <laughs> and just, it, but how she wrapped it up was very, like, that wasn't going to survive in her purse. No, it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't. She didn't think this through. Those are my positives. I liked the intro music. Yeah, I didn't say I didn't like it. I just thought it was very pornish. I yes, I agree. <laughs> um, I liked how they got right to it. Mm-hmm. They got right to the movie. No dilly dallying around. But then they did dilly dally around on the uh, latter part. So yeah. Um, what's that guy named Doctor Lab? Dr. Lab. The guy that was in the major? The guy that was in the wheelchair? The guy watering his plants. I don't know. I liked the one guy. Oh. I think he died. Yeah, yeah. He, he got nice, taken out. He had a nice plant situation in his grow light. He did. He, did. Mm-hmm. he didn't have a good toupee situation when he died, though. That was kind of mm. funny. That oh, was pretty funny. <laughs> Copper pots and pans. Yes. And I like pots and pans hanging from, like, somewhere in the kitchen. I liked her whole apartment layout. Yeah, I do have her whole apartment layout on here. Sounds like a fun job. Yeah. Read every book in the world. Yeah, that sounds like a fun job. I mean, except for the fact that, like, you could get killed. But other than that, like, that would be a perfect job for you. For me, not so much. I was, <laughs> I was I'm still on book number one. Yes, it's been a month. Give me some time. Um... Radiator noises. I have this on the positive because that means the heat's coming on. Mm. Yeah, I don't mind a radiator noise because it lets me know. And the kidnapped girl's apartment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious that CIA bookworm Joe Turner apparently has headshots. <laughs> because the picture of him what that the that Jobert had and that when he had pictures of all the people and his oh, was yeah. this perfectly choreographed. The man looks so handsome. I was like, where where did he go to get headshots from? <laughs> um, I have I like that he's like I'm not a field agent. Like he like he was like I don't know what to do. I'm not a field agent. I feel like if you worked for the CIA, you would be given some sort of basic. Like, oh, just FYI, since you are in the CIA. But also, okay, you're just a field agent, but you were in the Army. So it's not like he doesn't have any training with anything. 
which it came into play later. Um, I liked how this movie really respected the audience's intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe too much because there was a lot that, especially that last 30 minutes where you're just like, like wait, what? Who's who? What's going on? So I did think that I liked how it didn't, the, these mo- movies today, they just tell us everything. And this, it show, it literally showed the connection between Atwood and Jobert and all of that thing. But then figuring out the whole thing at the end, it just, I was like, maybe this um, gave us too much respect. Because mm-hmm. I did have to read a summary to, to figure out what exactly was going on. This... I had it as a negative reheatable, but apparently it's back in fashion. So here it is in the positive reheatable. My man Joe's Canadian tuxedo. He just went right into the phone company. It's all denimed out. Yeah. Just completely. I'm like, all right. That was very 75. It's it's back in apparently, all the all denim look. Um, I like how the MacGuffin of this being about oil and the Middle East and the I think Robert Redford's character, Joe, he says, do we have plans to invade the Middle East? And he's like, yes, just waiting, <laughs> just just biding our time. I thought that was uh, I mean, that's the definition of a good reheatable because, geez. And then this was a 50 50 one. Because the ending of it is his final gotcha is like take a look around, and he looks and it's it's at Teeny's nemesis, the, the New York Times. New York Times. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I told him everything. I'm sorry, I love the New York Times. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's like I told him. And everything. I like that building. That's a cool building. And he's like, how do you know they're gonna publish it? And he's like, they're gonna publish it. And so I thought that. Looking at this in 2022, I was I was very cynical. I was like, and so what? Like, yeah. But then I remembered, and there's a movie coming out now. She said, and that's mm-hmm. about an article from New York Times. That's true. That did change some things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I get like that's where I am on the 50/50. I'm like, yeah, going to the press. I mean, it. It means that people read nowadays, and that doesn't happen. So no, because you can't read it because you didn't pay for that part of the New York Times subscription. Yep, that's true. How would I know? They need to write a hell of a headline then. Um, and then my final positive reheatable is guys. I picked a holiday movie. I know. <laughs> so quotables. <clears throat> You can't tell me you never broke into a car before. He mm. says that. You can't mm. tell me you, you're you a black man. You never broke into a car before. Yeah, that was that's, wrong. That's fucked up. Everybody in Brooklyn's talking to each other. Mm. You think not getting caught in a lie is the same as the truth. Hey, at this point, you can get caught in a lie, and it's still the truth. Yeah. Did you know that Sidney Pollack admits to variations on that line being in Tootsie the Firm and the Interpreter? And you you could, if he was alive today, you can just imagine how just the conniption fit. Because, yeah, now it's just, it wasn't a lie. It's an alternative fact. fact. An alternative fact, yes. Yeah. 
That's dangerous, man. But people don't really read anymore, so they don't know how no. dangerous it is. That's it. You know what I was thinking? Let me let me get my old lady hat on for a second here, real quick, and go on a bit of a rant. Teeny had her New York Times rant. I got mine. Mine. It's gonna be interesting seeing how it plays out. But I remember, like in the past, when I was growing up, I knew about things that happened in the '60s and the '70s, and in the '80s and stuff because we only had a handful of television channels. Yeah, it's true. And so I would have to, like, my parents were like, "It's the news. We have to watch the news," or we we would have to watch TV together. So somebody would make a reference on falcon crest or something about something that had happened in the past and you guys would laugh about it i'd be like what does that mean and it's like oh like gilda radner did this thing roseanne rosanna dana and i wasn't around for that but it would get explained to me so then i would know about it like buckwheat is still dead there were like all these things that happened in the 70s the gas shortage prices like well wally you know, like there would be these things that my parents would say to each other, jokes that you would hear on syndicated shows. We'd come home from school, Three's Company is on, and they'd be making, you know, <laughs> crazy jokes when you watch it now. I'm like, oh my gosh. But, you know, the references and stuff to things that happen, and you would be like, why Why is that funny? Explain it to me. And now kids, they don't have, like, they just, everybody has their own separate devices to watch their own separate things, so they aren't getting dragged into a That's history true. lesson. Well, they are. They are. They are? Okay. Yeah. TikTok. Ah, TikTok. Because gonna... you see sounds go viral and they use the viral sounds to get views, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have to learn. Then it'll be here's where your favorite viral sound came from. And it teaches you the history from it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, all right. All right. So then. Okay, so it's... I think they'll just get it in a different way. Okay, that's good. Then I then I like that because I was I was a bit worried. Okay, never mind. Because <laughs> when you were in sixth grade, you won the current events competition because I would we would I would do your hair every morning watching the Today Show because mm-hmm. we had one channel mm-hmm. in Germany. So you knew oh. all the current events. And on Mondays, it was the McLaughlin Group. So I knew, I knew all of the ins and outs then. I was, man, I could have been a, I could have been a little speaker of the house when I was in 1990. But I don't think any of them watch the news. Like they don't watch TV or the news or anything, but they all find it out via social media. But I do think it means that they don't know what it, like maybe they don't know it. Like they see people see headlines and just go based off of it and they don't learn about it to your point. They don't know the rest of the, the story. story. But then they'll find out about it when it's when Netflix <clears throat> releases a right. series on it yeah. and then it's like, "Wait, that was happening?" So that that'll be wild to see in 10-15 years the docu series about like what's happening now and they'll be and like, oh, "Wait, no. what?" <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> My, can't wait to see how that plays out. Twitter? Twit him. <laughs> I have, that's New York. Somebody got mugged, maybe. <laughs> uh, poor one out for me, too, Joey. It's their own fault if we're zonked by the time they get here. Mm. Um, this is my quote of the movie. Kids, probably the same everywhere. 
And then I did write down anybody, anyone good here with a coat hanger simply to reference no wire hangers. No wire hangers. But I will tell you, to break into a car, you can't use a wooden or a Velcro hanger. Yeah, you need a wire hanger. Also, I don't know, maybe because... Oh, the yeah. self-importions issue. And That's what I was, because you're my mother. So I was like, what do we mean? Does he already know? I guess there's no plan B. I get, like, in 1975. So he was kind of like two birds, one stone. Anybody got a, any? No. Mm -hmm. hey. I'm a negative reheatable now. I've joined Ma in the <laughs> bad reheatable. We just need to bring Teeny into the group. Were those all of your quotes? Yes. I, uh, Joe Turner said this to his girlfriend. It's a great face, but it's never been to China. Yeah, so, why? Yeah, so Joe Turner just, I mean, is that, that I don't know. I was just like, what? Yeah, I, but why? That makes no sense. You don't get to speak on this woman's experience. No. <laughs> um, when he was, the whole thing about the, I don't know, it's this is one of those universe weird crazy things because I was thinking about, I was like, oh, I remember that there was some story and it was a closed room and somebody got killed and there was just drops of water. And yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so when they were talking about this and he was like, oh, it was a bullet, it was an ice bullet and that's why there was the water and somebody was like, how did you know that? And he was like, he goes, Dick Tracy, he was a great detective. I'm like, Dick Tracy was a great detective. But he wasn't the world's greatest detective. Do you know who that is? Oh, uh, that would be uh, Clouseau. No, that's Batman. Oh. Batman's the world's greatest detective. Okay. Um, when the CIA guy, I love this line. I'm holding the baby, go ahead. <laughs> he was on the phone. He was like, I'm holding the baby, go ahead. Um... Faye Dunaway had some great lines in this. One of them was like, have I ever denied you anything? <laughs> yes. Funny. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask mm. a question? Yes. Mm -hmm. How do they make her look 50 years older in just 1981 from 1975? At least just 30 years. The 70s. <laughs> she yeah. literally did not look like the same person. Yeah. Mommy Dearest. She I mean, might I get, have like, had makeup, a... but... I got work done. And a good filter. I think she has had some work done, at least seeing like pictures of her more recently. But I'm sure that the the, the makeup because they had to do a lot with her eyes. And yeah, yeah I, I guess those eyebrows made her look a lot different. Um and but, also but there were the tiny little lines. I wonder oh, that's that's I hate to break it to some people on this, but that's 35 to 40 right there. <laughs> Things happen fast. Yeah, but, they do. Am I right? Like, am they I wrong? Do. Every oh, well, day, yeah, you I know. And go. I, I'm already there. <laughs> Things happen fast. Um, what's it? Then you oh. just say, fuck it, I just don't wear makeup anymore. It's not worth it. But that's what I did in my 20s. You have always been an old soul. Yeah. You were born an old soul. I was born 90 years old, and I'm just like, eh. That's true. <laughs> Fuck it. It's yeah, true. kids. That's why it's hilarious now that I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm finally aging into myself. 
I'm finally, I don't have to pretend anymore to be young. And yet you get carded. I know. I'm like the bags, the baggage that I'm carrying around under these eyes. Come on. Look at the steamer trunks. Look at this. It's not <clears throat> Louis Vuitton. Um, I have, if you live through this, she said to him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then I like the, the houseman guy. He was um, regaling his time spent in the services. And he was talking about World War One before he knew, before they knew enough to start numbering them. And he was somebody who asked about like, oh, do you miss, you know, the wars and stuff? Because by 75, going into the main wars, the Cold War, because Saigon's fallen and that kind of thing. But he says, I miss the ki that kind of clarity, speaking of the Great War and World War II and stuff. Mm. Whereas now you're getting into more... Right, it was all black and white. Now there's... Nuance. Gray. Yeah. And then... Yeah, so those were my quotables. Okay. I am to the LVP, and I have already stated, it's the romance in this. Now, he's gone through all this trauma, and I'm going to say she's not the a warm fuzzy. She's uh, Everyone of, responds to trauma and grieves differently. And exactly she right. is definitely not. She's Her relationship with Ben is one of she'd rather be with Ben than be alone, she thinks. You know, like she's just with him to be with him, so she's not alone. But he, but her photographs are of someone who's alone, so she probably doesn't realize that she's more alone with Ben than she would be by herself. Well, well, Ben, you just lost your girlfriend, obviously. No, Joe did. Ben oh, is. Oh, Joe, Ben is okay. The boyfriend, yeah. Now, if you think back to the Pelican Brief. What I told about the brief is dead. We, so we had Denzel Washington, we had Julia Roberts, and there, there was a possible gonna be love interest, and they went, no, we're not gonna cross that line, but it, it was good for the story. It was. You're they, saying they, racism saved the day. <laughs> yeah, I am. So, but they didn't need that part of the story. They didn't, that, that could have cut out that whole, well, how long was that? It was, however long it was, could have cut the, down on that part. You just, it's, you could trust each other without having sex with each other. Yeah, it just seemed, it was a very clunky kind of forced in thing. I where, felt like it was very forced. Because it just made us think negatively about both of those characters yeah like, you know like this guy you just lost well, your I didn't girlfriend. think that negatively about her I'm like you, you know, know I just listened to a podcast that you might like called it's called mm. something is there a way to look at what podcast you listen to it's got a name who's the girl that says you must remember this Katrina uh -huh. Longworth Stuff you missed in history class. No. Oh, shit. It's a podcast like something like you learned this wrong. Mm. Oh. Ooh, that does sound good. Um, Or like they did a whole episode and she was the guest on it. And they 
did one about the rating system mm. um but they were talking about like sex scenes and how much that impacts the ratings of things but yeah yeah when did the haze code end um it was around it had to be around the late 60s because of midnight cowboy got an x oh yeah so they talked about that so i was wondering if like that's why they did through this in there just because they could yeah they threw it in because it's it's Robert Redford who is at the height of his game and he was super, you know, it, I mean, it, this is just what they would just there. It was probably contractually obligated. Like this scene was going to be at the, about the hour mark, Faye Dunaway and Robert Redford are going to have a love scene. Yeah. And that's just the way I did. I, and like, <clears throat> I didn't buy the sexual attraction. <clears throat> Interesting. No. Yeah, she also, um, like she just got kidnapped. Yes. So so really that's a, that's an injustice to women that mm-hmm. or if you wanted to make it she was doing that in order to make him on her side to give her a better outcome at the end of the kidnapping then make that apparent to us cuz yeah, that they would didn't be, do that work. No, they didn't and that would have been okay. That would have made sense then. But the, the fact that yeah. it was just it's Robert Redford. Robert Redford takes you like and you even joked like we all joked about it. Robert Redford takes me hostage. Oh my you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Scares me. The um, Eastwood movie with um Donna, whatever her name was, and that long sex scene with them, it was just like gratuitous. It was just yeah, we didn't yeah, okay. Um, yeah. It's called You're Wrong About with Sarah Marshall. Ah. And she had Karina Longworth on to talk about the movie rating system this week. It's a good listen. Thank you. Um, my LVP is, well, my runner-up was she couldn't break out of the pantyhose, which I know you guys think that that's a different situation, but. I think, well, um, some of us don't have crazy teeny strength how you would just go, nah! Yeah, nah. Well, that's true. <laughs> <clears throat> but when he was loosening them, he didn't have to work that hard. No. Because he's a man. Um, <laughs> and but my real LVP is why didn't he just get a hotel room instead of kidnapping? Yeah. Well, maybe he doesn't feel There's no agent. need. And how
Yeah. So I guess we, there are a lot of a lot of holes in this three day of the God. There were a lot of holes, but there are gonna be when you have this kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. I have as my honorary mention the military industrial complex. Because this in the film it's the, the CIA doesn't know what the CIA is doing. Because it's these factions within the CIA. And Eisenhower said he was like, Yeah, guys. The military industrial complex. We got to be careful. This thing, it's like, what's that? What's that uh, evasive species that's all over the south now? Kudu. Yeah, Kudzo. It's like Kudzo. It's going to get out of control. Everybody's like, oh, Ike, sit down. Now Ike's like, told y'all motherfuckers. And, but my real MVP is us. LVP. LVP. My real LVP is us. Us is no, in us. We aren't, we aren't the MVPs? No, it's us and the, and the United States because we've known since the 70s that relying on oil yeah. was bad for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's true. It's not, just ignoring, know, ignoring, ignoring. Just kick the road down the can. Kick it down. It's like for economic reasons, but also environmental reasons. Yep. Sing it, Greta. Sing it. Okay, now we are to MVP. And I can't say mine after Aaron's nerd alerts. Why? What was yours? 1975. No, 1975 can be positive. But more than both things can be true. I mean, it was the year we got married. Oh, see? Oh, I should have put that. Yeah, and you didn't in your nerd alerts. That didn't apply to me. Kinda did. I know, but later. I wasn't there. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, nineteen seventy-five. For me, I I was teaching my very first class after college. How old uh, were you in nineteen seventy-five? Twenty-three. Oh man! So you're just loving nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. Because I moved to Texas with Poppy. And it's the first time I had been away from home, you know, parents and such. And well, college. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, not on their dime anymore. Um, yeah. So it was a uh, it in was a Texas? good year in Texas, and amazingly, we had a good three years in Texas. And so, um, yeah, 1975 was a good year. Right. Nice. My MVP is all the New York City landmarks. There yes. Was Central Park, World Trade Center, um, <laughs> the Guggenheim. There was a bunch of them in there. And also New York City at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Macy's had their windows up today and they're setting up for the parade. Oh, oh that's right. Mm-hmm. They're closing down Fifth Avenue for the first time ever to pedestrians. Um, from I thought this is silly. From the hours of 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. to look at the Christmas lights, which that's daytime. But I guess I, I guess it's like the window displays and everything. Right. Mm. Yeah. I have honorable mention the World Trade Center. This was <laughs> the only film to ever be shot inside the World Trade Center. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
another my second honorable mention is Turner Turner's Signal Core training. I thought that was it took me a while to realize what was going on. In fact, it was the second watch to be like, oh, mm-hmm. they mentioned how he was in the Signal Core, so that's why he went and stole that headset, and that's how he knew how, how, he to, knew how to do that to say and do everything, <clears throat> and how he was able to trace the phone calls and everything. Um, I think that's probably something that will get lost on people now watching it because oh yeah, it's that's such old technology and it's before they went all digital and that kind of thing. But my real MVP of this film, guys, Higgins comb over. His that hair is- thing was it's an all time great comb over. His comb-over is the reason so many men have tried comb-overs. Because initially, it went over my head. It wasn't until the second viewing when he was walking outside and I noticed, like, oh, that man's part is all the way on top of his ear. Oh, Robert Redford's hair is moving in the wind and his is not. And then it would cut to the back of it and I was like, oh, my God, this is all... Somebody call architectural digest. This is <laughs> because his hair was very um it was wiry. The texture of his hair was not a smooth texture at all. Oh, so but there was but, a lot of hairspray on that. Thing. And a lot going on and yet rock that confidently. I didn't even think about it until and then oh, I I, I investigated and then I was like this is the man. Is this man's responsible for so many men going down a dark dark hole yes he he wow just i mean one of the all-time great co-motivers on film i i'll say i I gotta put it in my year best gotta make a note okay we are two recasting and I didn't do one i was thinking of it because i thought it could be a female joe could be a female yeah Excuse me. Uh, but I couldn't, I just didn't get that far. I got into another project and. Um, I think yeah. we should make it into a comedy starring Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart. Yeah, that would. Well, now that would be good. That would be similar to Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, this was similar to Jumpin' Jack Flash. Mm hmm. I didn't do, I kind of did a recasting, but it was kind of done for me because there are two seasons of a show called Condor that <laughs> was in 2018, and I, I guess it didn't get so up until now, but I don't think they're making anymore. And they had, Joe was played by Max Irons, who was the son of Jeremy Irons, and Max was in The White Queen, Red Riding Hood, and Women in, Woman in Gold. And as Hilbert... It was a woman, Neem Lunaby, and she was in the movie Omar, Rock the Casbah, but Ma, we know her because she played the young Abby Chase in the Old Man TV show. Remember with Jeff Bridges? Yes, yes, yes. She was his wife in the flashback scenes. She plays Aubert in this uh, two seasons of a show called Condor. Oh, well, Amy Brenneman could be Jobert in a remake. 
she was in the old man, the mm-hmm. female lead next to. Okay. I like I like Teeny's idea the best. Okay, we are to Tasties, and there were several. The three I wrote down have already been mentioned. Hmm. So the Tasties are on use. I don't have any. I have that the book takes place in Washington, D.C., but it was changed to New York City because it's more hustle and bustle. In New York and City. all the landmarks, and so, not that D.C. doesn't have them, but. In 1997, the Association of Danish Film Directors, on behalf of Sidney Pollack, sued Danemark's radio because cropping the film for TV compromised the artistic integrity of the film and violated Pollack's copyright. But the case was thrown out because Sidney Pollack actually didn't own the film rights to this film. But it is considered to be the first legal case to challenge the practice that was known as pan and scan for terrestrial uh, broadcasts. Which so is, if, they, if they cut out the, the romance scene, I don't got a problem with that. But it wasn't this pan and scan, like that doesn't, that's not what it is. I'm cutting out the romance scan. The pan and scan was, remember, TVs used to be square. We all had square TVs. Mm-hmm. And, and, Films were the aspect right, right, ratio right, right, is, right, right, right. is more of a rectangle, and mm-hmm. so what they they had all of these different things that they would try to do, and sometimes if you watch an old VHS tape or something or old like on TV, you'll notice that the camera kind of moves weird mm-hmm. in a weird way, and that's because that's called the pan and scan because the the square TV couldn't hold the ah. full image mm. of how it was, and so that. In the 90s, that was a really big thing because we all had square TVs and they hadn't realized, like, oh, to solve this problem, we'll just have rectangular televisions. And now we all have rectangular televisions, so that issue isn't as big of a deal anymore. Um, The lunch spot, that's the Lexington candy shop. The address is 1226 Lexington Avenue between 82nd and 83rd Street, and it's still there, and it still looks the same, and there's still a steady clientele. I I just saw something about that the other day. What? Like, probably on TikTok or something. Because they still, I think they're one of the last places that do, like, so, it's like a soda shop. Like, they do malt soda soda or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, three weeks ago. Yeah. Well, maybe this... Maybe we should go. Yep. Um, Van Gogh, they said in the movie that Van Gogh never sold a painting in his lifetime, and there was a other episode of this podcast where I had mentioned it, but no, Van Gogh sold one painting in his lifetime, and that was the Red Vineyard. Yes. But he didn't achieve... You know, he wasn't no. Van Gogh when he died. He was weird. He would Van still Go. have his ear. He's yeah. a Lexington candy, Lexington candy shop, right? Yeah, the Lexington candy shop. Um, yeah, most of the restaurants have moved away from the traditional way of serving Coke, but this one New York diner has retained the practice. It's a 97-year-old luncheonette on the Upper East Side that still makes their Coke the old-fashioned way. Mm. Um, their Coca-Cola Classic. It is the 70s. 
Well, maybe we should go there. Yes, maybe. I bet their sandwiches are good. Oh, you know. That was a good-looking sandwich she wrapped up for him. The This film was shot, it takes place in the winter, but it was shot in the autumn. And Robert Redford is a known ecolog- ecologist. Yeah. And so he made sure that the deleafing of the plants by production wouldn't harm the plants. So, hmm. alleg- allegedly. I, I don't know. Um... Peter Yates, he directed Bullet, the Steve McQueen film. Mm-hmm. He was signed on to direct this, and Warren Beatty was going to star. And then Robert Redford got signed on, and he preferred to work with Cindy Pollack. Oh, they did seven together. So. Yeah. So the studio paid Yates his full $200,000 salary not to direct the film. Damn. And... I did the math. I lo- well, I didn't do the math. I looked it up. So he got paid in today's money one point one million dollars not to not to do anything. That's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking two hundred thousand dollars to direct a film that doesn't seem like a lot, but I would take that in a heartbeat now. Oh my god, yeah, me too. And, but... and it would be wildly under, you know, like just in the the adjustment of all that but like right. just in my my meager life you know i'm like oh and then you adjust for inflation it's like that guy got paid 1.1 billion to just be like okay, okay. and and then he probably went on to direct another film and get mm-hmm. paid for it so mm-hmm. man if you can get a contract like that this story actually the story structure inspired uh, the story for Captain America, colon, the Winter Soldier. And Robert Redford even appears in that movie. And they cast him as an homage to Three Days of the Condor. Outstanding. Oh. So there you have it. Well, that has been Three Days of the Condor. I thought it was a fun spy I movie. I enjoyed it. I like that it was a holiday movie. Like, they could have cut out about 30 minutes, but... They could indeed. Yeah, they could have maybe. I would say about um, like uh, the next scene to the end. Yeah, and just like this, just from that that point, um, I can't even like dumb it. They could have dumbed it down maybe twenty percent. I think they they thought their audience was over intellectual. So in seventy five, we were (laughs) boomers. Okay, so next week. Oh, it's you. I looked up Thanksgiving movies. Now, there are many on the list, and many of them are Thanksgiving adjacent movies. Yeah. So I have two that we could go with Charlie Brown. One is from 1959. Okay. Thanksgiving adjacent. One is from 19. 1997. That's Holly Hunter's Home for the Holidays. It is not. Oh. <laughs> Wrong. It, so, um, <laughs> one, one is two hours and 16 minutes. Okay. Well, we do have time. Well, some of us have time. <laughs> I didn't she's say that. She's me off. I'm getting I, double birds double, over here. Double birds. And the other is one hour and 27 minutes. That one. I think we have to do that one. 
One got 73% on Rotten oh, Tomatoes, okay. one hour, 22 minutes. And one got 97%. 97%? On Rotten Tomatoes. Then we should do that one. That one kind of goes, uh, is, is, a, is a, a stream from this one in that it's kind of an espionage type movie. Okay. The and other in the the ninety seven percent that's two hour film that's in the nineteen fifty nine film. Yes, it's two hours. It's kind of espionagey, and it's nineteen fifty nine. A newspaper puts the movie around Thanksgiving. That's the only reference to Thanksgiving that one has. Uh, it can be seen on HBO Max and Apple TV. That one has. James Mason. James Mason. Mm-hmm. So are we doing that one? It's two hours and 16 minutes, but it kind of goes with the espionageness. If it's 97%, then yeah. And it's on HBO Max, right? So you, you can't. Right. Teeny can break it up into chunks. Right. Uh, I, I kind of went with like that one because it is espionage 1959 versus 1975. Oh, okay. I'm guessing there's no Asian girlfriend in the 1959 film. I'm pretty sure not. I'm pretty sure there's a blonde girl. And um, the other one was more of just family dynamics. Boring. Yeah. (laughs) Is it for you to say? Okay, then we are going to go with uh, 1959, Mm Erin. You don't think I would guess? And Christine. You said James Mason. James Mason is in it. Leo Carroll is in it. Um, If I tell you the director, you're going to get it. Is it Hitchcock? It is a Hitchcock. Oh, Oh, James Mason in a 1959 Hitchcock film. He's not one of the two leads. Oh, Rope? Uh, Cary Grant. Oh, and Suspicion? um, I forget what her name is. Notorious? North. North by Northwest. Northwest. Ava Marie Saint? Ava Marie Saint. And Wait, he is, he is also uh, North by Northwest. Oh, that is. Oh, okay. That's... Oh, that's a good pick, Ma. I'm, gl- I'm glad we went with Because the... it kind of can uh, mirror this one because he is wrongly, um, they, wrongly yeah, yeah, yeah. identified. And, and this is one of the all-time great classics. So yes. I've always wanted to see it. Yeah. Because it has such a, like, there's so many famous scenes in this. Like, yes. I, I'm not, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I think we're all, like, if you've seen it, you're picturing the airplane. Hey, I don't want to picture it. She hasn't seen it. I have no idea. Yeah. Literally no idea. So she has See, no so idea. I'm not ruining it for her. I know, but I just do. Really, I, there's an airplane. I'm going to guess it goes down. I, just, um, I don't know. I don't know what happens. What's with the, the other movie? Just out of curiosity. I'm the other one. Okay. So, April Aaron. Fools. No. I, I, I know I could have tricked her on this one. The too. holiday. Um, 
Uh, it had Greg Matuli, Marcia Gay Harden, Ann Mira, who is the mother of Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. Hope Davis, Stanley Tucci. You can't go wrong with Stanley Tucci. Big night. No. Oh. The Day Trippers. Oh, I never saw the Day Trippers. We might have to watch it sometime. Interesting. It looks a touch interesting. A woman finds a note to her husband written by who she is assuming is a lover Ooh. the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, bummer. Wow. That wow, wow. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, Next week, North by Northwest. We're on a roll here, people. Mm-hmm. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we will not be together, but we will be uh, FaceTiming each other at some point. Now mm, I'm always so super hungry because I'm waiting because they're three hours ahead and they're always faced to like as they're eating and I'm just like I'm so hungry. But we're oh not doing gosh. we're not doing traditional Thanksgiving. What are you having ribs? We we're are having we're having oh. puppy steak. Oh, nice! Puppy steak, baked potato, and asparagus or broccoli, probably. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. So I'm I'm saving all of the uh, traditional stuff for Christmas. Oh, that's good. I I don't I know that I'm at least having apple pie, and everything else is just going to be a delicious surprise. And we'll see how much food you come home with, since it's not Mary preparing your leftovers. I know, but hey, that's it's. A, I have contingency plans. It, <laughs> I I will I will not starve. Well, tell give the Goldsteins our love. I shall. Okay, listeners, that was three days of the Condor, and we will be back here Thanksgiving weekend do, unless something else happens. Wait, do you wonder what happened in the other three days in the book? Like this was. Probably a lot more sex. Yeah. 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 Well, well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well. Bye. Bye.